Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. So we'd start the show as we always do and have a look at some of the uh, big business stories that are making the news this morning. I'm delighted to be joined by Kira McDonough of Healy Communications and also joining us is Ian Kern, business reporter with the Irish Times. Good morning to you both and you're most, both most welcome. Thank you. Uh, Kira. thank you for travelling up this morning on a, <laughs> a dirty old day as they say. Um, thanks for joining us. Let's talk about inflation to start off with. Uh, the Irish Times uh, today tells us that fuel prices uh, drop but food costs still remain high. Absolutely, yeah. Well, if I was going to drive up, at least it's it's uh, good to know that I'm driving up and fuel prices are dropping. So it's costing me a bit less, and that's <clears> not too bad. Um, but that's yeah, true. Connor Pope is writing this piece in the Irish Times on page six today, and uh, I think he might have created a bit of a rush to Cabra because he's talking about the petrol station in Cabra uh, selling a litre of fuel uh, for one fifty five on Thursday, which is not bad. So uh, if, there, yeah. if anyone is around Cabra today, they might get some good bargains. But average-wise, according to pumps.ie, um, we're looking at about one sixty two, which is quite <clears> a bit less than it was this time last year. Uh, if we come, if we look at this, if we look at this time last year, Ian, um, I think uh, Connor Pope takes the average. Uh, uh, distance travelled by a car in any 17,000 kilometres annually. Basically, if you were doing that kind of mileage, that your fuel bill would be 700 euros less uh, this year than last year. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is happening as well, sort of in a wider European context, where we're starting to see headline inflation kind of coming down and it's lower energy prices that's really driving it down. But at the same time, the latest kind of inflation print that we got yesterday from the Euro, uh, from the uh, European Central Bank showed that food prices are still uh, still going up. And, and this is something that kind of, kind of draws out then. Uh, one of the things that supermarkets have blamed this increasing cost of, of, of food on is, is, um, is the cost of transport obviously with but 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 that sort of no longer explains that given that the energy prices are going down so so it's kind of interesting in that context and and, and at the very end of the piece then Connor obviously spoke to the five top uh, supermarkets uh, yeah and this actually did catch my eye because uh, and Kira somebody who's in the PR business um the Irish Times contacted the state's five leading supermarket chains asking when consumers might see falling fuel prices translating into lower grocery prices and what do they hear? Oh, I know. Like, I, I, there was such positivity from the, the fuel representatives in the first half of the article. And then you come into an insider in the grocery market that uh, Connor is quoting, an unnamed insider, to be fair. But it says there's always going to be a lag on these things when it talks about coming prices or prices coming down on the groceries. But yes, he has been going around the um, grocery uh, chains um, mm. They're not exactly jumping up and down about the, the plans. To so SuperValue are working hard with our suppliers who are still faced <laughs> with the impact of high input costs to ensure we continually uh, deliver the best value and quality Irish products for our consumers. Little said, as with all retailers and businesses, the cost of living crisis continues to have a significant impact on our operations as a result of not only the price of fuel, but many other factors. And on and on it goes. And Dunn stores <laughs> did not respond. There you go. There you go. Fair play. Yeah. <laughs> now let's bring it to the US. Um, uh, some very interesting stuff happening across the border around uh, former President uh, Donald Trump. Um, Ian, about to be indicted. A lot of stuff coming out in this uh, story. It, it really is quite bizarre that it's now looking like that the two frontrunners in the next uh, 
presidential campaign are going to be Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we're seeing and that has been very interesting this week is watching the entire kind of Republican Party row in behind Trump, um, even his kind of uh, immediate rivals for the for the nomination, like DeSantis and and so on. And and I think what's interesting about that is you would worry, uh, you know, or, or I think Democrats would worry that this is, you know, th- th- this case against him is going to give him his platform for this election. Um, and you're also seeing him outpoll the likes of DeSantis and his other immediate rivals, but he is still polling behind Joe Biden. So I think that that's the uh, that, that's the kind of where it all stands. But you would worry that this is kind of giving him his <laughs> his next big platform to, yeah. to, to sort of. You, you know, know. I, you couldn't be surprised by anything that could no, happen. Here. Absolutely not. Uh, like Ian was saying there about the, about his um, his kind of um, trusted advisors and the, the people who would be publicly supporting him, and yet. Uh, there was an, a Reuters poll released last week which showed about 44% of Republicans said he should drop out of the race if he's indicted. So, so that's nearly half. It's two, uh, two layers there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, no, I, I really, I, it's mind-bending. Who about, <laughs> what about the central characters in this plot, uh, yeah. Ian? <laughs> yeah, uh, we've well, got a girl called Karen McDougall. Yeah, um, so she's, this is from the Irish <laughs> Examiner. Um, she, she is a, a former uh, Playboy model who said she had a 10-month affair with Donald Trump in the mid uh, 2000s. Miss um, McDougall was paid 150000 in 2016 by the parent company of the National Enquirer. And then, you know, so on. Then we have people like Michael Cohn, these names popping up again like a bad, <laughs> like a bad smell uh, from the uh, from the Trump presidency. Michael Cohn, of course, who was uh, uh, Trump's fixer, his lawyer, who um, uh, once proudly proclaimed he would take a bullet for his boss. Um, he took the lead in arranging the payments to Stormy Daniels that are at the, the centre of this uh, the, the, this indictment and so on you know even the the, the head of the uh, the the former publisher and longtime friend of Mr Trump's uh, David uh, Pecker who is the uh, the the, uh, the publisher of the uh, National Enquirer so all these names popping up again and uh, y- you might have thought we were we were out of the the woods but <laughs> yeah. all these people are kind of back on the agenda be interesting to see if he wears handcuffs next Tuesday oh, I think it is Kira. yeah I saw well, that wasn't there something about that during the week but now apparently according to one of his lawyers he says he will not have to wear handcuffs at his court appearance but imagine like just in terms of it, it's teeing up an really incredible day of proceedings on Tuesday you'll have the photo the fingerprints the court appearance his arrival and departure what are we going to see you know and he's expected to be out without bail I believe he's um, again that lawyer was saying he's likely to be released without having to post bail and uh, actually as you were saying one of the, the characters in the whole situation. Um, Alvin Bragg, who is Manhattan's first black district attorney, uh, he looks like he's going to become the first prosecutor anywhere to bring a criminal case against a former US president. So, And, and the messages he's putting out to Republicans um, who uh, are commenting during the week, he's, he's really not messing around. It's going to yeah. be incredible scenes on Tuesday. Lots more to come in this story, I can Definitely. tell you folks. So um, a very interesting business story today in uh, Joe Brennan's writing about it in his market beat column in the Irish Times. New Diageo boss shouldn't expect a honeymoon period. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us more. This is, I mean, just a, a classic case of a hard act to follow, I think, you know. Um, so what Joe's writing about here is um, Deborah Crew, who is the incoming chief executive of of uh, of uh, 
Diageo, which obviously we know as the parent of Guinness, but it's a, a massive drinks company that owns uh, a huge number of brands, very well-known brands, including, um, you know, uh, things like Smirnoff and Johnny Walker and Gordon's Gin, Captain Morgan and so on. But anyway, um, she, she is, has been named uh, the new chief executive and she's replacing Ivan Menezes, who has had a very successful tenure at the helm of this company. And Joe was basically saying that, you know, she would have been well advised not to read some of the broker's notes that were going around this yeah. week after the <clears> announcement. They basically said that his timing was absolutely perfect. Yeah, 100%. He drove the share price, he's getting out on a high, yeah. and there's lots of troubled waters coming. Absolutely, and what they're seeing is kind of interim results showed that North American sales are declining after a number of years of very strong growth. But but not only that, it, not only is it, you know, the company heading into maybe choppy waters to some extent, uh, he, he was also sort of a, a kind of a, a pioneer in some ways. He was a pioneer of this uh, premiumization movement within the kind of uh, 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 drink space, which was the idea that people would pay more or for, for higher-end drinks. And that's something that has really driven revenue at companies yeah. like Diageo and Perno and, and other major drinks companies over recent years. Um, so he is a tough act to follow. And uh, I think that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how she manages to, to try and fill his shoes. Deborah Crew was a, a one-time US Army officer and she's also the incumbent, I think, in that market yep. uh, that, that Ian refers to, Kira, which is the US market. So she's probably well-placed to take on the role. She absolutely is. She's currently the Chief Operating Officer. She was President of Diageo North America between 2020 and last October. I mean it's, it's phenomenal. She has amazing achievements in her career. She also brings a number of women bosses on the FTSE 100 into double figures uh, when she does take charge in, in July. So she's clearly a hugely capable person. I just love that the word premiumization is a new one on me. <laughs> and I'm wondering about the Hollywoodization maybe of the market because the number of uh, well-known names that um, that Diageo has been involved with in deals and uh, business over the last few years is incredible. George Clooney, Ryan Reynolds, David Beckham, maybe not yeah. Hollywood, but still a global name. Um, it, Sean Diddy Combs. <laughs> but it's it shows you how, how, how the world is moving. Exactly. I'd yeah. love to know, does she have a wish list of people she wants to do business with now? Well, that's where we watch that over. space. <laughs> uh, Twitter verification plan not going uh, very well, Ian. Uh, do you have your two your two blue ticks. I, I don't actually. Uh, it's never been a, a high priority for me, I must say. But, uh, this is I, bizarre. And it certainly won't be now that you have to pay for it. Uh, I think that's the, the main thing. And I think that's the point of this this, this piece in the Irish Times today. Um, you know, t- Twitter has unveiled this kind of uh, gold badge system for affiliates and, and for companies to sign up. Um, and, you know, as it's pointed out in this uh, piece, you know, the one thing lacking, of course, is any compelling reason for anybody to sign up for it, given that it costs a thousand uh, euro a month. It used to be that a Twitter blue tick was supposed to verify, you know, it was supposed to signify that the person running the account is the person who they say they are. But now, of course, that anyone can pay for a blue tick or a gold badge or whatever, um, that has been completely done away with. And obviously, when uh, this initially came in, we saw this situation where um, people paid for the blue tick and then aped you know, famous brands and made outlandish statements and caused huge sort of, uh, you know, this it was sort is of bizarre, yeah. isn't it? So, that, that, so this, that this could be the revenue model absolutely, for a business yeah. the size of this. Yeah, and I think, um, I think, I think, you know, as it's, you know, it's mentioned here that it's really it's kind of a sort of digital fancy dress, really, uh, more than anything. <laughs> um, and and why anyone would pay for it is 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 is, uh, is it's unclear. But this is part of, you know, this is symptomatic of an even bigger sort of issue with uh, Twitter direction and um, they're desperately trying to plug revenue gaps and and, and and that sort of thing and it's just nothing seems to be working uh, it, it, it does just seem that uh, in Twitter's case uh, gold is the new blue
Yeah. I'll say that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I know. Let's, we'll, we'll see where that all goes. Kira, well, we have you there. RT Long Wave and the Long Goodbye. Um, now, this is about the, I suppose, the gradual shutdown uh, of the RT Long Wave. Uh, I think it was for listeners largely in the UK. Uh, one thing I thought was quite interesting is that uh, RT, RT, Radio 1 Long Wave listeners used by an unknown number of listeners in the Irish community in Britain. How come it's unknown? Well, this is one of the things that radio is always up against, isn't it? Or has been up against up yeah. until recent years when you were able to start tracking digital usage of uh, radio outlets. You just don't know precisely how many people are listening. Obviously, we have the JNLRs and they're fantastic and they're a great service to have. But scientifically speaking, you can't really track how many people are using it. And myself and Ian were talking about this earlier. And I think I remember when this was first mooted years ago. And there was kind of a real uproar about the diaspora in London and how you couldn't leave them behind. But now, by the look of it, uh, what they're going to be banking on is the proliferation of digital uh, possibilities when it comes to listening to radio. Yeah. They're not about to leave them behind. But when it's as easy as asking your speaker to play Radio 1 or T Radio 1 anywhere in the world, from Bahrain to Brisbane, anything like that. It's Plus just, the cost of 400 grand uh, yeah. of public money yeah. uh, per annum to keep it going. And it, they're saying that it needed 2.6 million in capital expenditure to to, uh, to keep the lights on. And if you don't have the equivalent numbers that you need to justify that spend, it just gets harder and harder by the day to, to get through that, doesn't it? Speaking so of, it's very sad. Yeah, speaking of spend, Ian, um, Jenny the donkey was well paid. <laughs> donkey work doesn't come cheap. Banshees uh, makers rack up huge uh, 213k bill on films Animal Actors. Yeah. This is by Gordon Deegan, who is, you know, well known for being a specialist of analysing company figures and results. Yeah, absolutely. And um, this is from, as you say, from Gordon Deegan and the Irish Daily Mail today, um, based on uh, accounts filed by uh, Laneways Productions uh, with the company's office and also uh, filings with the revenue. Um, he's calculated that uh, just, uh, yeah, sorry, there it is there, the... Uh, the, the amount that the, the production spent on, on animals and handlers for the production uh, was, yeah, 213,455. That's for Jenny the donkey, who was uh, obviously uh, a star in her own right. But it, it goes on, and there's some very interesting figures there. Um, in terms of the uh, the actual, the principal cast shared uh, a payment of two uh, just over 2 million, while the supporting cast got 271,000. The film's extras shared pay of 191,740, while production staff got 1.24 million. And then the costs under director were nearly 1.4 million alone while the producers received just 272,000 yeah. so some in- interesting kind of breakdown there um, th- and again there's no real I think he's just looking at headlines and it is a headline to say of course yeah you know and if you look behind it it looks like that there was 10 people plus involved in all this animal handling and God knows transport costs and everything else. Whatever whatever they spent on those donkeys, it was money well spent. When you think of the profile those donkeys have. I feel a little bit sorry for Rosie, who is the lesser well-known donkey involved. Apparently, um, Gordon is uh, quoting a press interview that one of the handlers um, gave ahead of the Oscar ceremony. So Jenny was very sweet, quite naive. We had to train everything from scratch. Um, But Rosie took everything in her stride and nothing fazed her. But you hardly hear about Rosie, do you? And um, finally, Kira, when we have you there, uh, people love the drama. A son opening competing Chinese takeaway next to his father's restaurant. 
um, yes. from the Irish Independent today by uh, Owen Maloney. Tell us more. Described by one of the guys in the story, Jonathan, who is the son in this situation. He says, this place is the most talked about takeaway in Ireland and I haven't sold a single chicken ball yet. Uh, he's been speaking to Owen Maloney in the Irish Independent today. So yeah, there's a, a bit of a family dispute surrounding a takeaway in Ballyfermot in Dublin. So Lamb's takeaway has been on the, the Ballyfermot Road since 1991. Jonathan uh, worked in his father Ken's restaurant for more than 20 years, but now he's opening another one next door. So it's it's kind of like if you look at the, the Irish history and even cultural history, so many stories of Irish business and rival situations. But, but not only is, is uh, he opening a place next door, but the, the original owner, uh, Ken, his father, is also opening another, a third place. A third one, which, yeah. Which on the other side of it to, to do dine on. It's incredible. So, really so you're going to have the original business, the son leaves, he sets up next door and then the father sets up. So it'll be, it's that's going to be well worth the chicken balls, I can it's tell you. Well worth chicken balls and well worth, um, well worth a story. I think there's a great story to be told and that is maybe uh, in you know, on screen, maybe in years to come yeah. or on stage. Succession in Ballyferma. Yeah. There you go. Well, listen, thanks for a great review of the papers. Uh, Kieran McDonough uh, from Healy Communications is always a pleasure. And likewise, Ian Kern, a business reporter with the Irish Times. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Bobby. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.